Hey listeners, Troy here. Before we get into the podcast, I wanted to tell you about a cool event we got coming up in February. It's called the AC Leadership Summit. This new initiative of Apologetics Canada seeks to bring together aspiring Christian leaders from across the West Coast for an incredible weekend of empowering, equipping, and engaging. This is an opportunity for young professionals aged 21 to 27 to meet one another and grow together as Christian leaders. Hear from a variety of speakers, including AC's very own Andy Steiger and Troy Lydia. Here's some of the topics that we'll be covering. What does it mean to be an influential leader? Why is leadership accountability so important? The myth of self-reliance and many more. Join us in the beauty of BC's coastal mountains where you can enjoy fellowship, growth, and a variety of snow activities from skiing, sledding, to snowshoeing at Sasquatch Mountain Resort. If this interests you at all, make sure you head to ApologeticsCanada.com to apply today. Now for the podcast. Welcome listeners to the AC Podcast. This is Andy Steiger. I have a special guest today, Garth Jessley. Welcome to the show. It's good to be with you, Andy. Uh, Garth is an interesting individual. I'm actually looking forward to talking with you today. He comes from an interesting background in business. He uh, held many senior leadership positions in investment management, venture capital, corporate banking, international project financing, private debt placement, and investment banking. I'm going to be honest with you, Garth. Most of that doesn't mean anything to me. It sounds impressive, though. It sounds impressive. It's multifaceted. Let's put it that way. (laughs) You also served as executive director of Leadership Impact for several years. Currently, you're the vice chairman of Middlefield Group and special advisor to the senior management team. You also serve on the National Board of Directors of Teen Challenge Canada and on the board of Catch the Fire Church in Toronto. Uh, I believe uh, Toronto is where you and your wife, Mary, live. We do. We live in the suburbs, actually, Mississauga. Great. And glad to see that you have, uh, what is it, four kids and a number of grandchildren. Four kids and nine grandchildren, and uh, we've been out of the country for most of this year, so we're just getting reacquainted with all of them. Yes, that, that's great. Yeah, I I, uh, I think there's many of us that are getting reacquainted with family. I, right. I just visited with my mom uh, down in uh, Oregon for the first time in two years. Where were you guys uh, outside the country? We have a second home in uh, the country of Barbados. Oh, wow. And so, I mean, it's a wonderful place to be in the winter coming from the east. Um, but uh, we stayed down there longer than we'd actually planned because of what was happening with COVID. What was COVID like uh, in Barbados? It was actually doing quite well. I like to say to friends, uh, we felt both safer and somewhat saner in Barbados. That being said, it's starting to creep up. We were actually planning to go back next month, but I think we deferred that until uh, January of next year. I mean, it's not, I don't know the on a per capita basis to compare it with Canada, but it's just got a little bit worse. Uh, we feel very safe where we are. Well, Barbados sounds wonderful. Today, we're not talking about Barbados, although I'd like that. We're going to be talking about your new book called More Than Your Business Card, A Wake-Up Call for Leaders Desiring to Follow Jesus in the Marketplace. Now, before we jump into the contents of that book, you know, the book starts with your story, and, and I think that that would probably be the, the right place to start. How did you come to faith? How did you realize that you were more than your business card? And, and then I, I want to unpack what led you to, to write this book, and, and I want to get into the content, too. So let's start with your story, Garth. How did you come to faith in Jesus? 
Well, I grew up in Vancouver, um, out where you are, Andy, or that area. Uh, went to the University of British Columbia, finished pre-med, wrote the medical entrance exams, uh, and then, in a, a flash of insight, acknowledged I can't stand the sight of blood. So that was the end of my medical career. And uh, I then consulted with friends. I wasn't a follower of Jesus, as I'll uh, get to in a moment, until my mid-30s. consulted with my friends, and they advised me to take an MBA, to which I said, what's an MBA? And they said, we don't really know, but it's got something to do with business and math, and you're good at math. So on the base of that, I took my MBA, came out of school, bent on you know getting to the top in the financial services sector as quickly as possible. And uh, my whole identity was wrapped up in what I did, achieving goals, being rewarded for achieving the goals, all of that stuff. My wife, Mary, came along one day, however, and announced over a very nice dinner that she had become a follower of Jesus. And there was a, a pregnant pause, and uh, I didn't know what to say to that. Uh, what ended up coming out of my mouth was, um, does this mean you're going to go down to the corner of King and Young in Toronto and hand out Bibles? And it wasn't really sarcastic at all. I was absolutely taken aback by the change in Mary. By She was radiating fulfillment and, and joy and, and just you know, knowing who she was, all of this kind of stuff. And so I was very happy for her. Um, but uh, I saw no direct relevance for me. You know, I saw no connection between that and what I did in business. So I went on in business. I was a young lad in my 20s. My goal was to be a vice president of Citibank of New York. Uh, within three years, we moved down to New York, came back to Toronto and got a telex one day. That's the old equivalent of an email from the president, Bill Spencer of Citibank New York, uh, announcing that uh, the board of directors had confirmed my appointment as a vice president of the bank. So since that was my big goal, uh, I did experience elation, but it literally lasted, it was just for a moment. And then this question came into my mind, is that it? Is that what life's all about? You set goals, you achieve them. And then in the next instant, I had a follow-on uh, question, which was, uh, or revelation, I guess I should say, was that when I achieved the next level in the corporate hierarchy, the identical thing was going to happen. So I was something of a lost lad. I didn't tell anybody. I had a few too many drinks that evening to try to retain this, this feeling of exuberance, having achieved a big goal. But I was lost, and um, I didn't go on a really... Uh, uh, careful search of, you know, what is truth and all of that. All I knew was I was unhappy. Um, I didn't really explain that to Mary. I think she could see it. I think I became one of her prayer projects. I know I did. Uh, thank God for that. Um, but one day, uh, Mary invited me to a church. And it wasn't the first time, I might add, but in Montreal, I was leading City Corps, City Banks, Operations for Eastern Canada from Montreal. And she invited me to the service, and the young assistant pastor got up and, and said um, something along the lines of, if you're here today and you're here <laughs> because you live next door or because, you know, you, your family's always lived in the neighborhood or you're here to, um, to uh, show uh, virtue. And he had a number of things he said. And then he said, um, you know, if you're here for any of those reasons, I suggest you just get up and leave. And a whole bunch of people got up and left. 
And I was absolutely taken aback. And I, I went, this guy's fantastic. Like I, I had this very, <laughs> I had this very uninformed view that Christians were hypocrites. Obviously I didn't apply that to Mary, but I, I, I had this thought that Christians generally were hypocritical, always trying to be holier than thou. Um, and so he had my total attention. So the next week I came back hoping for more fireworks, but I had, there were fireworks all right, but not like that. Um, the senior pastor got up to talk. I have not a clue what he said. I've never <clears throat> been able to remember anything about the service except one thing. All of a sudden, I heard the words, I am alive. And I knew the speaker was Jesus. Hmm. I just knew that the speaker was Jesus. And I knew that that meant that he is God. And by extension, I knew that God wants a relationship with me. And so I just gave my life to him on the spot. I'd never heard the so-called sinner's prayer or anything. Um, I hadn't read the Bible. I didn't know any of this stuff. I just, I just knew that in my heart, it just went from my head to my heart immediately. And the next week we were talking about whether we, whether we go, went to Africa, literally, <laughs> to do missionary work, because I couldn't figure out how you, and this leads into the book, how you could possibly stay in the corporate world, you know, with the encounter with Jesus I'd had and still do to this day. So I just, that, that was, that was a, a just like a discontinuity in my life, my old life to a new life. You know, there, there's so much there that just needs unpacking because the, there's a lot of assumptions that we come into Christianity with, and particularly when, you know, first of all, what you say there, when, when you're a new Christian, and we'll talk about this in a moment, where this idea, if you're going to be serious about your faith, that means you need to be a missionary and you need to go as far as possible and as extreme as possible sort of thing, or you need to become a pastor. You know, I pastored for 20 years and I can't tell you the number of people that I've met that, that that's, you know, that that's their thinking, or I've taught at Bible college and the number of people I've met like that. So I want to get into that in a moment, but before we do, there's something you said there that I think is so interesting that that's important, I think, for people to appreciate. You didn't know anything about the sinner's prayer or, or any of that sort of stuff. I find it fascinating that when you look at the New Testament, you see that the Apostle Paul shares the gospel in a variety of ways. And even more so, Jesus shares the gospel in even more ways, where he'll use all sorts of examples. And one of the verses that you start your chapter with on this is John 10.10. That famous verse of Jesus, you know, offering this abundant life or this fulfilled life, which I think ties directly into your story here, where you're looking for meaning. Right. I call it accomplishment climbing, Garth. And I think that there's a lot of us that get caught up in this idea that we're trying to make ourselves into something, but yet it just continues to not satisfy. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Andy. As I say in, in the book, in one chapter there, you know, as followers of Jesus, our identity is received. It's not achieved, right? Uh, and yet the paradigm in the corporate world, for sure, is identity is achieved, right? And in life in general, for a lot of people, they look at life and they're going to achieve their identity. And of course, now we have social media and everybody is creating an identity. But the reality is, uh, in the Christian worldview, it is 
received, right? And and John 10, 10 is one of my favorite go-to <coughs> verses. And that's my challenge in the book uh, to, to everyone and not just leaders. I, I've been kind of uh, broadening the audience for this book because when I wrote it, it was in the context of, uh, uh, you know, C-suite leaders and those with whom I'd associated for a long time. And I could see they were absolutely an unreached people group that's never going to darken the door of a church. So I have the greatest level of influence with them. But I think that for most people, if you ask them, and I'm talking about believers, if you ask them, are you experiencing a rich and satisfying life in your work life? I think the answer would be ambivalent, if not negative. And I think a lot of believers, and 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 here's the point I want to make, and I think it's actually a big point that is virtually never made in church. Most of your audience, uh, I'm assuming your audience are not just people who are, um, you know, academics and apologetics, but most of your audience will spend their lives in the workplace. Like when I look out at my church, 90% of the people will spend their lives in the workplace. They'll be in business. They'll be entrepreneurs. They'll be leaders, but they'll be employees. And for many of them, um, they kind of see it as a placeholder, right? That, that you know, until I get on to something more spiritual, like there is a hierarchy of callings. And I think it's missing the whole point of calling. And, and that's my challenge to, to folks who are looking in on this call is, are you experiencing fulfillment and a rich and satisfying life when you go into work every day, even when you're going into, maybe you have to let somebody go, you know, maybe there's a crisis. I've gone through dozens of crises in the investment markets. Like there's a, a crisis every other month, right? But are you going in excited because you're called to be there? By Jesus, this, you know, the, the, and so this gets into that that second piece there, yeah. and that is, you know, how do we see ourselves as Christians? I got to tell you, one of the things that just breaks my heart, and listeners, maybe maybe you've fallen in this category, and you really need to rethink your life because there's there's so many who think my faith and my work are separate; they they shouldn't come together. And if anything, it's kind of like you just. Put your head down and you work for the next 20, 30, 40 years until retirement, and everything's lived in light of retirement. It's kind of like the big weekend, right? And then it and then that's when I'm going to do ministry, is when I'm when I'm retired, sort of idea. Or for some people, it's the weekend, but they don't bring Jesus with them in every aspect of their life. Yes. And and you know, there's there's literally zero scriptural warrant for that. He calls us, and and I think what he wants to do, I, I, I think I mentioned this in the book, he doesn't so much want us to live for him in the marketplace. He wants to live through us. And how are people going to see Jesus except through us? So I think we have no choice if we're going to be honor the call on our life, uh, but to be authentic to our identity in the marketplace. And of course, each of us has to do it within our own personality, uh, but we have to find a way to do it. We have to be we, tactical, if you will. We have to be opportunistic. We have to figure out how we're going to do it, but we must do it. Well, I, I find this, this point so interesting. I first got thinking about it when Dallas Willard did a talk called Jesus, the Smartest Man Who Ever Lived. And, and his challenge to his audience, and it's challenged me ever since, is, do, do you think of Jesus as smart? Do you think of him as 
somebody, you know, not just some wise hippie sage that often people think about with regards to Jesus, but somebody that you could actually take into the marketplace of ideas, even in business, that Jesus has something to teach you in business, but also, and I think that's the point that you're getting at, that as a disciple of Jesus, you can serve Jesus wherever he has you, even like for yourself, as as you were in investment banking, you could be a missionary, if you want to use that kind of terminology, or a pastor, if you want to use that, but you could serve there. Yes, absolutely. I feel very passionately about that. And I, and I feel that, uh, that if the church would just get a hold of this, uh, this holds a key to transforming the world. Because, it, because, you know, if we've segregated our lives into the so-called sacred and the secular, and, and we're not, uh, like, I will, if you don't mind, I'll tell this little story. I just heard yeah. this, but it's the most fascinating story I've heard in my years following Jesus. I was told by this person that she knows a guy who decided in the workplace that he was just really going to honor the Lord by the way he behaved. You know, so he was the nicest guy you could meet. He was honoring in all of his relations with the various stakeholders. He was just a really good guy. People, if they were to think about him, they'd say he's ethical. He's good. He's great. So one day this guy comes into the office and he says, hey, everybody, I just met Jesus on the weekend. I'm a follower of Jesus. And this this fellow said to him, he said, I am too, dude. And his jaw dropped. And he said, you know, I'm taken aback. You're the main reason I didn't come to faith sooner. Because I thought you were setting an example that, that I aspired to. You really were good. I thought I could do this without religion, without Jesus. See, I looked at you and your life and I thought, well, there's a guy. He's really living it out. I can do this. I don't need God. Is that not a fascinating story? Which well, is why in the book I say all the time, I never tell people I'm a Christian. I always say I'm a follower of Jesus, and I make it known really fast. So I want to be held to account for that. Yeah, it's so interesting that you should bring up that story, because recently here in Canada, we celebrated Thanksgiving, and and uh, one of the my in-laws brought a friend, a girl from Colombia, and as I was talking with her at dinner, I found out that she recently had come to faith in Jesus. And I was, I was actually, when I talked to her, I'm like, man, I should have you on the, the AC podcast because it's such a fascinating story. And, and you, Garth, it's a story of a girl who comes from Colombia. She's living in Canada, trying to climb the corporate ladder, trying to get to the best education, the best jobs, and and just not finding any meaning or purpose in it all until it brings her to this point of brokenness. And she has this purple moment where she's like, man, I I need something more in my life and decides she's going to go to church. And so she tells her roommate, hey, listen, this Sunday, you know, you're not going to see me. I'm going to, I'm going to, and she's like, oh, really? What are you going to do? She's like, I'm going to church. And her roommate's like, you are? And she's like, yeah. And, and her roommate's like, well, I'm going to church. And, and so this girl from Columbia, right? She's like, you're a Christian? And she's like, yeah. And she's like, why have you never told me about Jesus? You know, because she's like, my life it, like needs Jesus. And and ultimately, like, Jesus like transforms her life. And it's just such an interesting story of, you know, for a lot of us, we just take Jesus for granted. 
and and, and forget that there are so many people out there that are struggling and in need, but are we willing just to to put it out there, right? Garth, why do you think it is that people are so hesitant to 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 let them know that they're going to church on Sunday, that they're a follower of Jesus? Right. Well, I, I'll I'll speak through the prism of the corporate world or going into business, right, and going out and and this fear, this anxiety. Um, I think there's two reasons. Um, the first and maybe the largest reason is they have not fully um, – it's not gone from their head to their heart. The other is the various obstacles, some of which are internal, some of which are external. The external ones are pretty obvious. We, we're in a very politically correct environment, never more so than right now. Um, you know, there's you have – uh, kind of the secular culture sitting alongside religious pluralism of all things. Everything's correct and that, that's okay. And we don't talk about anything. Um, that's fine. And so it can be intimidating to break that rule as it were of political correctness. Uh, but I think a lot of it too is just internal. We haven't squared what scripture says about all of this, right? You know, the business actually is a legitimate calling. It's a calling. A calling means you're sharing the Lord there. You, you know, we don't, there's all kinds of hindrances uh, there that are internal and external, I think. Now, one of the things that you that you get out in the book is that we, uh, you know, you're not going to find your identity in your business card. Uh Right, you're you're gonna you're gonna work to build your kingdom, and it's gonna leave you longing as as you experienced. And I and I gotta tell you, I can't. I think we've all known people like this. I know that this has been a large part of my own story, and 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 many others as they've tried to build an identity instead of as as you talk about uh, find their identity in Christ. And and this is this is a a real paradigm shift, isn't it? When we start to see uh, God in the picture of who we are and why we're here. I think it is. It's critical that we keep revisiting our identity. Um, you know, I think it's very easy in all of the turmoil of uh, the markets and the economy and the COVID and all of this. It's very easy. It's in our humanity to just lose sight of our identity. And I think we need to keep coming back to it. I I, um, I use the analogy in the book that um, our identity, our real identity in Christ is really like the operating system on a computer. You know, I, it operates behind the scene, but, but if we're not just going in every morning, even though I'm going in a morning where I'm going to have to let some staff go or do this or do that, if we're not secure in that identity, and that's not what's informing, if you will, the application software, then we're in trouble. Well, and and that it needs updating from time to time, because I know for myself, you know, meaning and purpose was a big part of me coming to Jesus. I, that's what I was, lo- I was looking for meaning when I came to Christ. But I find it so fascinating that as I have established my identity in Jesus, and, and I love the verse that you use from John 17, where Jesus talks about, you know, this is this is eternal life to know you, right? Like the the importance of relationship, my relationship of God with God, and how that informs everything. Yeah. But isn't it fascinating how easy it is to derail? 
right? And over time, I think we drift. Do you agree? And have you experienced that? I absolutely do agree. Uh, Andy, and it's why, you know, I've got a number, I, I just share some personal practices in the book, but I, you, yeah, you have to have some discipline in your life to keep up, you know, some spiritual practices, uh, you know, spending time in God's presence, reading the word, you have to do all of these things, because it is easy to drift, particularly given the number of, you know, big things that have been happening in the last little while, it's easy to drift. But I think I come, I come back to that knowing Jesus, right? This is eternal life, John 17, 3, that you know me. And that's why Mary and I have made our life purpose statement many years ago. We wrote it down to know Jesus better and to better make him known. And better implies that, well, first of all, to know him better implies we do know him, but we can always know him better and to better make him known. And I think the more we know him, which we know through our quiet time, through our communion with him throughout the day, uh, the more we're, the, the better we're able to share him uh, with others. Like, it's interesting to me, this whole area of apologetics. Um, I've been following Jesus since my mid-30s. I wasn't even aware of the word apologetics until 10 years in to my walk with the Lord. And uh, if people ask me questions I didn't know the answer to, I'd either say, I'll look that up, or I would say something along the lines, well, I don't know exactly the answer to that, but I know Jesus. And that, that works for a lot of people too. Like, right? You know, like my own view is that, you know, um, we talk about reality, right? Reality, uh, truth is that which conforms to reality. And my own view, I have this, this kind of view that you've got uh, physical reality and then you've got super reality. And super reality trumps physical reality, but we're we, we're imprisoned within these this physical space and the physical senses God gave us to navigate this civil uh, this world world. But the the super reality is the supernatural, and we need to spend time in connection with God to stay to stay fueled and stay secure in our identity and not lose track. And I think that that's true for for everyone. This was something that shocked me, you know, as being a pastor. Uh, I find it interesting. We live in this celebrity culture uh, where we're, we're on, if we're, you know, if you're on social media or whatever it is, and particularly, you know, in business, it's easy to get caught up in this game, right? I mean, you call it the, uh, what'd you call it? The beauty contest or, right? right? This was kind of an insider word for the, this, this, this whole mentality. But it's interesting that this even creeps into the church, this celebrity culture with whether it be how big your church is or, uh, how many books your book published, or how many likes your post got, or or how what following your podcast has, or what whatever it might be, it's just so easy, isn't it, as as Christians to get caught up again in this I- identity that we're trying to make or or trying to find ourselves in. It, it absolutely is, and you know, I was um, I'm going to do the math right now. I was 18 years into my walk with the Lord. And I went on what we call an encounter weekend at our church. And, you know, I I was very open about my faith the whole time. Um, and, you know, so I think people were well aware of the fact I was a follower of Jesus, whatever that meant to them. But um, it was on that weekend, 18 years in, that again, I just had this spiritual download, you know, that, that wait a minute, you're not your business card. <laughs> Your identity, you know, I'm so used to being a CEO or, you know, going around, you know, and so it just, it moves over into that, right? I mean, it just, it, it's, um, yeah, it almost hijacks your identity if you let it. 
I thought it was fascinating that you bring apologetics into your book. I mean, you just mentioned that apologetics was something that you learned. You're right. There's a lot of people that don't know what the word means. It's why we named the organization Apologetics Canada. Some people think it's a terrible name, and that's fine. But I, I think if, if for no other reason, it's good SEO rankings, and <laughs> and uh, it forces you to, to think about what, what apologetics is. Now, it, your book is very interesting. Garth, I wrote a book called Thinking, Answering Life's Five Biggest Questions. And I really, you know, as I read your book, which, which I loved, I really saw your book as kind of a business version of what I wrote in that, in that uh, which, which I, I, I thought was just a wonderful approach in that you connect with business leaders really well, and then you lead them into apologetics. And, and I want to just, because you answer many of the five questions that I deal with, dealt with in my book. What was what was the impetus for you as you as you make that transition in the book to deal with those questions? And one of the things I loved is you dealt with them from a business perspective. You spoke their language in it. So if so, if I just as a quick recommendation, if anybody's looking for a great book to give to a friend in business, I mean, this is in, as far as I'm concerned, this is the best book I've read uh, to introduce a, a business leader to Jesus, uh, book wise. Uh, but you know, what what was your what was your thinking there as you make that apologetic turn? You see, I wrote two books. The first book, the target market was people who are not believers, leaders who aren't believers. And my my editor persuaded me that uh, I had three or four books in that book. And that while it was a good book, she suggested that I narrow it down to just targeting leaders. But in the first book, I used a, a, even more apologetics, right? So in any event, so she actually pushed back. And so, so she helped me uh, structure the book. And she she's a genius, I, I think. She did a wonderful job. And I said, okay, I buy it. You know, I have to rewrite this, but I'll buy it. But I am going to insert this this part on what do you need to know to follow Jesus? And she was a bit surprised by that. And um, she said, well, okay, but you got to write it in your own words. Because <laughs> I was uh, communicating with William Lane Craig, and I was going to commute put in holus bolus some of his stuff. And she said, well, you can get his permission, but don't do that. You know. Well, I like the way you did it. You actually put his work into the appendix and said... Right. You know, you can go take a look at that, which I thought was a was a great move. But I did appreciate that you're putting it into the business context. Well, well thank you very much. That's that's a real confirmation for me because I've been trying to promote this book as a book that can be given out to non-believers, right? Even though my target market was believers, I think it can. And I've been doing that now. I've been kind of going, you know, I think there's enough in there that if they can just get through my story, which is, I think, fairly compelling and maybe off-putting in a positive sense. Oh, I think it's a great hook for sure. And then into the apologetics. But so it is interesting. And I just picked like, I'm now a bit of an apologist, not like you guys, but I've got shelves and shelves of books on, you know, everything from the problem of evil, pain and suffering and science in particular, because I came from a science background. So that's a milieu I feel very, very comfortable in. Uh, But I just kind of prayed about it. And I thought, these are the ones actually I was, you might be interested. I was going to deal with the problem of pain and suffering in the end. I left it out. I just decided, no, I'm not going to deal with that one. Um, because I've had pain and suffering in my life for sure. And maybe I can come up with some, some way, but, but, you know, I, I've got lots of books from all kinds of people on it and they're really well written and I like them a lot, but I found it, 
I just didn't decide not to. I just decided to deal with the ones that I Well, to encourage you, I think when I when the business leaders I know, you answered the questions I hear them asking the most. Uh, and that's probably what maybe led you in that direction. Right. I, I, I do want to bring up a point you bring up in the book that I think is important for listeners to give thought to, because so often I hear people think, oh, I don't have anything to say in this regard, or I just need to point people to William Lane Craig or whatever it might be. But you make this point in the book, you say, marketplace leaders are best positioned to reach their peers. Absolutely. Unpack that for me. What What's your thinking there? Andy, I think this holds for everybody, but I'll focus particularly on leaders. So marketplace leaders are people who have a lot of achievement in their lives. Um, and they've got to where they are usually by skills and and they might call it luck but they they are where they are and they literally see unless sometimes it happens as a result of a life crisis of course that's often when people are brought to a moment of clarity mine was a crisis of success but usually it's crises of failure or uh, negative crises but usually they don't have a felt need they don't have a felt need um, but the person who is most likely to reach them is somebody who's credible with them by virtue of being a peer. You know, they might have reached the conclusion, which was not the result of critical thinking or anything else. They read because CEOs, by the way, don't read a number of surveys. I was quite startled by that because I've read for years, but uh, CEOs broad generalization don't read. Um, So they, they're not going to suddenly wake up one morning like that, uh, a woman you mentioned from Colombia and say, I want to go to church. I mean, that does happen. It does happen. Holy Spirit can be working in people's lives and that happens, but by and large, they're not. But when they see you, particularly if you are living your faith openly, okay, you're not a secret service agent. You're actually living your faith openly. They know you're a Christian, but they know you have a spirit of excellence. They know you do really good work. They know you're not perfect because you've had to apologize and ask forgiveness on things, which is another way of of, uh, showing forth Jesus, Um, that you're the person they're most likely to consult when a big question comes up, right? Uh, Or in leader impact, when you invite them to a leader impact group, they're more likely to come with you because you have found that faith is relevant to you. And then by extension, they might agree that it might be relevant to them. And besides which, I know lots of CEOs. I know their lives are, they're frightened. <laughs> you know, they're supposed to put on this mask. They're frightened. They don't know the future, but they have to put on this mask and they can't open up to other people. So the person that they would be most likely to open up with, I think, is a believer who's living life authentically. You know, I think one of the challenges that we often don't do this or have this mentality is we we sometimes can get into this idea that your business leader especially successful ones that that you know they're they're physically wealthy but we often forget that they're spiritually often spiritually destitute that Absolutely. you know because it's easy for people to put on this front and and it's e- it's one of those things that we have to constantly remind ourselves that people need Jesus and although they they can put on a good front Am I committed to that idea that I need Jesus, but that everyone needs Jesus? Yeah, I mean, I like to say to people, Jesus is an equal opportunity lover. <laughs> I have been with people living literally down in the river in uh, in uh, Dhaka in Bangladesh and, and in New Delhi and in Brazil, uh, you know, and yet I've met many people 
that I would say are much more fulfilled and much more joyous in their lives because they've discovered true meaning, right? And so, uh, yeah. Now, bef- before we wrap up here, there's a there's a question that I want to get at. You've mentioned it already. It's a theme in your book, and that is that you actually you mentioned it at the very beginning. You and you hold on to this theme throughout, and that is that the mar- marketplace leaders are an unreached people group. Yeah. Uh, what, what's your what's your thinking there, and how do you think that we can solve that? Yeah, right. Um, first of all, let me define in my own way what I think a reached people group is. <laughs> um, a reached people group is a group of people that have heard a clear exposition of the gospel. Um, and I could maybe add some more stuff onto it, but that and and in that context. Uh, most, I'll pick on Canadian business leaders, U.S. business leaders are an unreached people group because they have not heard the gospel. I mean, Canada is post-Christian, right? Um, markedly so. Yeah. And in one way, it's a bigger opportunity because it is post-Christian because none of them are entangled about some past thinking. The problem is that they're perspective on Christianity is driven by headlines in the newspaper, by by things that, at least on the surface, don't appear to be very, very good uh, from Christians, or just the behavior of somebody who claims to be a Christian. And so they've never actually heard uh, that we are lost, that we need a rescuer. They haven't heard any of that. Um, they haven't been confronted with their need for a savior. And so I think that can only uh, be done by somehow getting to them. Uh, and the best way I think is for people call to the various venues of life and they don't have to be the, you know, the workplace. I mean, they could be in medicine or uh, dentistry or law or teaching, whatever, to live authentically for Jesus. That's the way that the world's going to be won over, I think. And I think this this really ties into what we've what we were talking about earlier, and that is, it's not just pastors or missionaries that, that have been called to ministry. We've all been called to ministry, and this you know is a, interesting. It was a friend of mine who's a doctor that first got me really thinking about this, because he always talked about his position as a doctor as a calling. We often don't think in those terms, you know, is my profession a calling? And he pursues being a doctor in the same way that somebody would pursue being a missionary. Yes. And and you know what, Andy, that's a great example, because I think societally it would be easier to call medicine as a calling, though, because, you know, there's certain virtues in some of these professions. People say, well, that helps people. And, you know, I can see that teaching as a calling. Um, I think the problem for business is, and that's what I deal with in the early parts of the book, is it somehow seems a bit tainted. Like for a lot of people, it is a placeholder. It's putting bread on the table until, you know, I come into my more spiritual calling. And it's because of all kinds of baggage, right? That I I meet some fairly educated people who are still questioning whether profit-seeking is a moral, you know, is a moral objective. And it's very clear from Scripture it is. It can be abused for sure, but so can doctors can abuse their practice as can pastors, right? So we're tied. The moral actors are people, not the profession or the occupation. And, and I think if anything, that's just more evidence that Jesus needs to come with you into the workplace, because as you walk with Jesus as a, a business leader, it helps you to process through how, how am I a good follower of Christ 
in profit seeking and running a a good company. You know, as I was reading your book, I just kept thinking of the novel Les Mis and Jean Valjean, where he's a business leader, right? That ultimately brings his faith into everything that he does and, and people just can't help but meet Jesus through this character at some level. I mean, of course, it, it it's just a novel, but it, it brought that to my mind. Yeah, to, and to, to borrow from Andy Stanley's book, Irresistible, it becomes irresistible. Right. I mean, pe- people don't tend to listen to a lot of preaching and, and to, you know, they, but it becomes irresistible, particularly your story, right? Now, people become aware of your story. Now, there's one last thing that we got to talk about, and that is, there is a danger here. And that is that as a business leader, there is a position of power that you have that can be abused because you know that your employees, you know, have to listen to you at some at some level or that they might want to please you, right. that you don't use that to your advantage. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? And, and what what advice would you give a business leader to navigate that? That's a really great question, Andy. I think, again, we go back to the golden rule in the Bible, right? That uh, we do unto others as they would do unto us. And and by the way, I think this is one that we constantly keep need to keep reminding ourselves. The example I use in the book is performance reviews. So I was very accustomed and all the companies I've run, we always do performance reviews. And I believe in them. I believe in mutually negotiating goals with employees. So we, we know because what we're interested in is outcomes. We're obviously interested in our conduct and achieving them, but we're interested in outcomes. And so when it comes down to performance review time, it's very common in the corporate world to do what I'm going to call halo reviews, which is, you know, this person, this employee is uh, her, his conduct is less than fully satisfactory. But on the other hand, you don't want to go through the pain of being really open and honest, you know, telling telling the truth in love rather uh, than, you know, which might result in their resigning. And then you have the problem you're faced with of going and replacing them. So there's a tendency to, to do things from your point of view. But I think, um, in, and this applies to all facets of business, with employee reviews, what I always tried to adopt uh, was the attitude of, you know, how do I love my employee through this? Which might mean yeah. being very open and saying, you know, in this area, um, you're not meeting the goals and I've observed this and such. And, and you know, maybe uh, you're better suited to another area of the company or, you know, if you can't, you know, measure up in these areas, maybe you should consider another uh, line of, of business, another calling, if you will. And, uh, you know, you need to be, uh, so to me, that is actually coming down and like it's not exerting power like yeah. you're fired. You, it's it's you come down by being honesty, I think, um, kind of opens people up to a conversation which can be constructive. If I if I hear you correctly, really, you're saying you're you're yeah, you're being guided by this principle of, of loving people, treating them as you would as as you would like to be treated. And you can do that in all sorts of ways, even when you have to let somebody go, or if you're um, giving them a job promotion, there that 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 principle guides everything that we're doing 
with one another. Right. And and it should permeate everything in our lives. And it's it's one, as you said, Andy, you know, we have to be careful. We can drift off course pretty easily. You know, that's yeah. why, you know, know Jesus better, right? You know, this is eternal life that they would know you. I think I keep coming back to that. We have to be centered there. Well, Garth, I want to thank you for joining us on the AC Podcast. Your book, More Than Your Business Card, A Wake-Up Call for Leaders Desiring to Follow Jesus in the Marketplace, is a great book. I highly recommend it. Uh, This is absolutely a book that I would give away to both Christian and non-Christian alike, particularly in the field of business. It will absolutely resonate with them. Where else would you send uh, listeners, Garth, if they want to know more about you and uh, your work? Yep. They can just go to www.garthjustly.com. Yes. And uh, yeah, they can do that and uh, they can learn more about me. And uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm still, I've heard there's a thing called Facebook. I don't know what that is. But, uh, my grandkids <laughs> keep trying to, well, no, they've moved on to something else. So. All right. It's still surviving. It's still surviving. I want to thank you again for joining us. Listeners, the AC Podcast is the Ministry of Apologetics Canada. And we'll be back next week with more things to think about.